If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Here, everybody, that's on the video. Allison and Clayton didn't mean to scare you. An awful lot of Christians have a, what I call a shortcut mentality when it comes to Christian maturity and growing up in Christ. I have some news for us all this morning. There is no shortcut. If you decide you want to grow a garden, you have to go through the process. When I planted my first garden, I put the seeds out one day and I had my plate and fork the next day and I just expected that the garden was going to grow that way. And as I learned, if you're going to plant a garden, you've got to prepare the soil. You've got to uh, make the little rows. You've got to keep the weeds out. You've got to keep it fed and watered. And it takes a process to grow uh, a garden to get your food in the fall, either that or go to Kroger. That's the two options you have when it comes to eating food. Uh, if someone wants to be an athlete, I was sitting uh, in the doctor's office yesterday and they had a men's health magazine. And the guy on the front of that men's health magazine did not look like me. Uh, it had a guy that not only did he have a six pack, he had about a 47 pack. And he was, his, his muscles were all strong and and he was cut, and he was buff, and, and the only way you get that way is by following the process. If I decide that I want to take my 57-year-old body as it is and make it look like the guy on the front of men's health, I'm pretty sure, number one, that at my age I probably can't do that. But if I wanted to do that, it's a process. You start working out. You start eating right. You start avoiding the bad stuff. Start avoiding bad things and start keeping up with the good things. And, and you go to the gym and you run and you, you do all of those things to, to make that happen. There are no shortcuts. But I think in our world there's at least a couple of reasons why we tend to have this instant expectation society. We, we want something and we want it right now. And part of it I think is because of our modern entertainment. When you look at fast-paced video games, or the other night I watched a documentary on uh, World War II. It's been longer than the other night, but the last time Marie took her uh, mom to the hospital, I watched a history documentary on World War II, and we thought it took four years to fight World War II, but it was fought in two hours on that TV show, and it was over with. Uh, when you watch Blue Bloods or Criminal Minds, they catch the killer in an hour. If you watch Perry Mason, he gets all the information that he needs to win his case in 30 minutes. And we expect life to turn out like TV. Or we expect life to turn out the way movies do. And that is to have a fast resolution. You can watch a Hallmark movie and you'll have a couple that hate each other's guts. They fight, they fuss. And within an hour and a half, they will become best friends, fall in love, and get married and live happily ever after, all in just a little bit of time. And we tend to expect our world to work out the same way. 
We get a bad diagnosis from a doctor and we think that we're going to get well tomorrow. We decide that we want to remodel our house or redo our yard and, and we want it looking just like it's ready to go on the Home and Garden Channel next week. A lot of these folks that have beautiful yards, they do one of two things. They've either worked on that yard for years or they have lots of money and they pay somebody to work on their yard for years. Amen? You don't do it quickly. But then number two, not only our modern entertainment, also what I call our humanistic philosophy, sociology, and psychology. Our world today when it comes to psychology, sociology, and uh, philosophy is based on three people. Me, myself, and I. It's all about what makes us happy. It's all about what makes us tick. It's all about what makes us go. And in the church, we have taken the sovereign God of the universe and we've turned him into our personal genie. We've decided we want this, so we pray, God, give me this. We want that, so we say, God, give me that. We have made the goal of Christianity. We've made the goal of our Bible study We've made the goal of our Christian maturity to make us and turn us into comfortable, happy humans. But did you know that's not the goal of Christianity? God's goal is not to make us comfortable, happy humans. God's goal is through the power of the Holy Spirit to turn us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I will say this. As the Holy Spirit turns us into Jesus Christ, we will find our wants and our desires changing. You see somebody that has been a Christian for a long time, and they say, you know what? God's given me my heart's desires. That doesn't mean he's given them a Corvette and a speedboat and a yacht and a house in the Hamptons. What it means is, as God has lined his or her desires up with his desires, and they've learned to be satisfied that way. So last week we started looking at Christian maturity. The goal of the Christian life is found in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. Look at verse 14 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal of the Christian life is for us to be like Christ. And just like there's no shortcut for building a garden and growing a garden, just like there's no shortcut to becoming a professional athlete, just like there's no shortcut from getting ourselves to getting ourselves in shape, there is no shortcut to being like Christ. It's a lifelong endeavor. Now listen to me this morning. The power behind becoming like Christ is not self-help. Did you know the self-help section is one of the biggest sections? We used to have things called bookstores. You remember them? Uh, we, we don't much have them anymore. We have libraries that people go to sometimes. They plug in their computers and watch them. But one of the biggest sections in bookstores, when we had bookstores, was the self-help section. How to get rich, how to get famous, how to be happy, how to do this, how to make ourselves better. The power behind becoming like Christ 
is not self-help. The power to becoming like Jesus Christ is Holy Spirit help. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Now we play a part in that. We have to crucify ourselves and let the Holy Spirit do His thing in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives to make us more like Christ. But we can read all the self-help books in the world. We can listen to all the self-help-based sermons in the world and they will not make us like Christ. Because that isn't where the power is. The power behind true Christianity is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to turn us from who we were into the image of Jesus Christ. And last week in Philippians 3, we started looking at the process that Paul lays out for becoming more like Christ. We talked about the fact that in verse 12, we are to keep going, the race isn't over. Uh, we, becoming like Christ is a lifelong journey. Becoming like Christ is a lifelong process. Our job is to keep on going till we draw our last breath. Do you realize that as long as you are breathing, God has kept you on this earth for some reason? God doesn't keep us on this earth just to hang out. One of the disciplines I'm trying to put myself in, and, and I'm better than I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be, it's when I wake up every morning before I ever set my foot on the ground, I want to say, God, thank you for waking me up today. Now, sometimes I'm good at remembering that, sometimes not, but I'm trying to discipline myself to re realize that. Because you know what that does? That makes me realize that if I thank God for letting me take a breath today and God woke me up today, that means God has a reason to wake me up. And he has a reason for me to have another day. So our job is to get out of bed, thank God for letting us have another day, to draw another breath, and then get busy running our race for that day. I don't know what the rest of today has in store. I plan on eating a little bit of lunch and having some family over and watching the ball game this evening. That's what I plan on doing. There may be others, including God, who have plans for me they haven't told me about. Amen? But I do know that it's my goal. Whatever I do for the rest of my day today, I'm going to run my race, and I'm going to try to let the Holy Spirit make me like Jesus. Now, my team might not win the Super Bowl, and I tell you, I'm pulling for the Buccaneers just because of Tom Brady's age. I've never been a Tom Brady fan, but I think it's pretty cool that at 43 years old, he can go to a brand new team and take that team to the Super Bowl. I understand he's got a lot of pieces around him, but I think that's pretty cool. So that probably means that the Chiefs are going to win because that's the way it works. Whatever team I'm for, the other team wins. So that's what I plan on doing. And I know that you have plans for your day, but whatever it is, Keep going because the race isn't over. Second, we talked about last week in verse 12, we are kept and we keep on being kept by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, we grabbed a hold of him and he grabbed a hold of us. Did you ever grab a hold of something you didn't want to let it go and you fall over or whatever? Maybe it was the last piece of chicken. 
I don't know what it is, but, but you grab a hold of... We grab a hold of Jesus. And more importantly than that, if you're a Christ follower, not only do we grab a hold of Jesus, Jesus grabbed a hold of us. Amen? And Jesus does not let go. Number three. Last week we talked about in verse 13, we need to forget the past and push forward to the future. There are good things in our past that we need to forget. Not forget them as if they never happened, but we need to remember not to rest on our laurels. The Kansas City Chiefs last year could have said, we won the Super Bowl last year, look at us. But they got right back up and they started over again. I illustrated last week our band was state champions my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And every year our band director would start this is not the band that's a state championship band. That was last year's band. This is a different group. And we had to start over. We had to keep going. We had to forget about what the past was. A lot of people, a lot of churches live in their past. They live in their past glories. Oh, at one time this church we had 200 people and we had all these kids and we had band ministry and bus ministry and we did all these kind of things. That was in 1980. And if 1980 comes back, they're ready. But y'all, 1980 is not coming back. We're living in 2021, and what counts is, what are we doing today, right now? We can't live in the past. We've got to let our present push us toward our future. The present is the only sphere of time that we have any control over whatsoever. We can't go back and change yesterday. When I talk to my inmates in prison, a lot of them are carrying a lot of guilt and a lot of self-depreciation because of what they did in the past. And I said, ask them, can you change it? You can't. So do you need to be sorry for it? Yes. Do you need to ask God to forgive you? Yes. Do you need to make ask your victims to forgive you? Yes. That's part of healing. But we can't set back in the who we were yesterday does not define our future. We do not know whether we have tomorrow. Do you know the Lord might come back before the Super Bowl's ever played? Talk about putting <coughs> kink in time. We may not live that long. We may not be promised tomorrow. And we plan to do all these things. Today is our day. And then finally, verse 14, we talked last week. Remember our goal. Our goal is to become like Jesus Christ. The Christian's goal, the baby Christian's goal, is to mature into a complete, perfect, sinless image of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to totally get there until we get to glory, amen? But somewhere along the line, we're all in that process. So let's keep going and finish up Paul's thoughts this morning. Look at verse 15. Paul tells us in verse 15, don't get distracted. He says, therefore, if you see the word therefore, what's it there for? Therefore, all this stuff we've been talking about, let us, as many are as mature, complete, perfect, have this mind. What mind? We're supposed to be living like Jesus Christ and, and doing like Jesus Christ and becoming like Jesus Christ. And if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal even this to you. If we are mature, if we are maturing, 
We should have that mind in us that we're supposed to be like Jesus, and we don't need to get distracted. I told the Sunday school class this morning while I was teaching class, a red bird landed on the bench outside. And I started watching that bench, and before long I lost my train of thought of what I was saying because I got distracted. We need to remember that as Christian people that are growing up and maturing in Christ, we can't let ourselves get distracted. We have to remember what our goal is. We have to remember where we're headed. What would Derrick Henry look like if suddenly he decided he wasn't going to be focused on being a world-class athlete, but he got distracted by Wendy's Baconators? So he decides every day he's going to go through this summer, between now and next, next spring, spring practice, every day he's going, Derrick Henry's going to go through Wendy's and get him a Baconator, supersized, with a son of a Baconator sandwich on the side. How, do you, how pleased do you suppose Mike Vrabel would be with Derrick Henry when he showed up for training camp this July? Probably not real pleased yet. And Vrabel would say, Derrick, what happened to you? Derrick says, well, I got distracted, coach. Uh, that Baconator, I, I, I was driving through, and I, want, I was just going to get a glass of water, I promise. And that picture, that Baconator looked so good, and I said, I'm just going to have one. And I had that Baconator coach, and it was so good, I just couldn't help myself. That car, all by itself, every day, right through that drive-thru. And the Baconator, that person, I just ordered a cup of water, but that, that the cashier, they just put that Baconator supersized, and that son of a baby in my bag, and I, and I had to eat it because, you know, the kids are starving over in China. And so I have to eat. The, I got distracted, coach. Vrabel wouldn't be real happy, but isn't that what we do in our Christian life? We say, I'm going to be more like Jesus. We wake up and we say, I'm going to be, today I'm going to live like Christ. And maybe we read our scriptures, we pray, and we're going to go, we're ready to conquer the world. Until we see a picture of that Baconator. Or whatever our temptation might be. Whatever something that Satan's trying to pull us away from Jesus might be. And that distraction distracts us. Paul says, therefore let us, as many are mature or complete or perfect, have this mind. We've got to keep ever before us that our job as a Christian is to let the Holy Spirit make us like Jesus Christ. Don't get distracted. And he goes on to say that if there's anything you think otherwise, in other words, if there are distractions that are there, the Holy Spirit will point those out to us if we'll let it. Did you know the Holy Spirit will show you what's right and what's wrong? He will show you what you ought to be doing, what you ought not be doing. The problem generally is not we don't know what to do. The problem is generally we just don't want to do it. Amen? It's not the difference in knowing right and wrong. The difference is being disciplined enough to do what's right. The Holy Spirit is there to show us and to guide us and to teach us. 
And when the Holy Spirit reveals that to us, we have a choice to make. Derrick Henry had a choice to make. He's going to eat that baconator, just drink a cup of water. Now he know he can hear Vrabel talking in his mind. His coach, all that time he's eating that, the coach is saying, he's hearing his voice saying, you ought not be eating that. But he wants it, so he makes a decision to eat it anyway. When we get caught up in our distractions, the Holy Spirit is telling us we need to keep our mind on our business. We need to keep our mind on Christ. We need to think about those things that are pure and are lovely and all these kind of things. We've got a choice to make. Are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit or are we going to listen to our desires? Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 that we are to take every thought into captivity. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 tell us we're not to be conformed to the world but be transformed into the mind of Jesus Christ. How? Verse 2, by the transforming and the renewing of our mind. And you say, well, Brother Andy, that's hard work. Amen. Taking every thought. How many thoughts is every? It's all of them, right? Can you imagine the discipline it takes to take every thought and saying, okay, is this a godly thought or is this a worldly thought? And separating, getting rid of the worldly things and keeping the God. It's work. But that's what it takes to mature and to grow. I see that guy in front of men's health. And I think, you know, I'd really like to look like him. But then when I think about it, I really don't want to look like him. Now, if I just had a presto, change yo, ta-da button, that'd be all right. But I don't. the truth is I don't want to eat like him and diet like him and work out like him. As Christians, we say we want to be like Jesus, but there's no presto, ta-da, instant change yo button. We have to go through the work of letting the Holy Spirit transform us into the mind of Jesus Christ. Don't get detracted or distracted. Number two, our actions should line up with our beliefs. Our actions should line up with our beliefs. Verse 16. Nevertheless, and in other words, one more thing Paul is saying. To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. This is a reminder that our dress and our speech and our actions should line up with what we say we believe. The problem with all of us to an extent, and I know I'm being a bit presumptive there, but I'm throwing myself into the same boat, so when I say all of us, I mean all of us. We say we are Christians, we say we are Christ-like, we say we want to be like Christ, but then we dress, speak, and act differently. Don't we? Our actions show what we really believe. Have you ever heard a parent tell a child, don't do as I do, do as I say do? That's a terrible adage. Because even though we may tell our children that, what they see us do plays a far bigger example 
than what we tell our children. When we were learning how to march in marching band, our band director would put, we had section leaders and we had co-section leaders where the new marchers would get with older marchers and Mr. Van Dyke would say, see how they're doing that? He'd tell the new marchers this. You guys do it like that. Somebody says, well, I'm a good marcher. Well, are they? Let's watch them march. We say we're a Christian. We believe in Christ. Being like Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Well, what's your life showing? How are we dressing? How are we talking? How are we acting? What are we doing? And I'm not saying that we won't have slip-ups. I'm not saying that there won't be times we stumble. But overall, I firmly believe you can look at your bank statement and you can look at your calendar or your day planner, whatever you do to keep yourself organized, your work diary, and you can tell where your heart lies. And how you spend your money and how you spend your time will reveal to you and everybody else what you really believe. And did you know, you can say you believe, I can say I want to look like that man on men's health. I tell Marie, I said, Marie, look at this guy. He, I want to look like him. And then when we get done with the doctor, Marie says, where do you want to go eat? And I say, I want to go to the Waffle House. Those smothered and covered hash browns are calling my name. You know what Marie knows then? She knows, even though I say I want to look like that guy in front of men's health, I really don't want to look like that guy in front of men's health. What I speak reveals how I really believe. Does that make sense? How we dress, how we speak, how we act, it shows where our belief lies. Our actions should line up with our beliefs. Notice what he says. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. Paul is saying there are some things you haven't attained yet. There's some level of maturity in which you haven't arrived. He said, but what you have learned, he says, practice what you know. Would it be fair to ask a first grader to do calculus? That wouldn't be fair, would it? He hadn't learned that yet. She hasn't learned that yet. Would it be fair, though, to expect the first grader at the end of the first grade to be able to know 1 plus 1 equals 2? What they know they should be practicing. All of us are at, a are at a different place in our Christian walk. Our Christian walk's going to be different because the Holy Spirit's working on us at different speeds, at different levels. Some of us simply have been walking longer. Yes, I'm saying we're old. We're old Christians. Don't worry about what you don't know. The vital question is, are you practicing what you do know? And you know what else this is a call toward? This is also a call in verse 16 to consistency. Paul is saying if you know to do it, do it. Whatever you've learned, whatever Christian maturity you have gotten under control, 
live that way every day. Let our actions and our beliefs line up together. Next, we need good examples. Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. We need good examples. Paul here says, whatever you see me do, you live your Christian life like mine. You find some other Christian people and you live your Christian life like them. Now Paul is not putting himself on a pedestal. Instead, Paul's encouraging the Philippian believers to walk with him as he walks with the Philippian believers and they all walk together to be like Jesus Christ. Warts, mistakes, and all. Did you know Paul made mistakes? I was studying for our Acts class that will resume in March, Lord willing, and I was looking this week at Acts chapter 23. Look over there right quick. We'll see a mistake of Paul. When you study Paul and you read Paul's writings, Paul has a little bit of a touch and a bend toward pride. Uh, look what he says. In Philippians chapter 23, in the first three verses. I thought this was interesting. Acts, I mean, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 20, see mistakes? They happen. Acts chapter 23. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him, to strike him on the mouth. In other words, Paul said, I, I haven't done anything that's ever violated my conscience. And the high priest has him smacked and slapped because for blasphemy, for being proud. And then Paul said to him, verse 3, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. He says, for you dare to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Now look at verse 4. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? In our language, he's, they're saying, you can't talk to the high priest that way. He's the high priest. And look what Paul says in verse 5. He says, then Paul said, I did not know that he was the high priest. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul let his foot get ahead of his brain and he smarted off to the high priest. Now, in fairness to Paul, Paul wasn't aware that was the high priest. He probably shouldn't have smarted off to him, no matter who it would have been, right? But notice what Paul does. Paul apologizes. He says, I was wrong. God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. And he told Paul, he said, you need this to help you remember that my grace is sufficient for you. But yet Paul, full of his mistakes, he still tells these Corinthian brethren to walk with him. Because we need examples of holiness, don't we? We need to know what that looks like. Our new marchers, if our band director said, now we're going to do the glide step, 
If you don't know what the glide step looked like, you can do your best, but it won't be right. But our band director says, you get with this experienced marcher, you watch how they're marching, and you march like them. We needed that example. But you know what we also learned? We also had a deal in our band that if we made a mistake, we ran a lap. So the guy that I was watching learned to march. When we did well, we did well. But all of a sudden, the guy that I was watching, he says, come on, we need to run a lap. What do you mean we need to run a lap? Well, because we did this wrong. Not only did I need to see the right example, I also needed to see what an experienced, mature person does when they make a mistake. Now listen to me. I'm going to say something that's going to be kind of hard. These three questions are going to be kind of tough. Number one, who are you following? Who is your example? Do you have a Christian brother or sister that says, when I grow up, I want to be like them? And we act like them, we talk like them, we, we be like them. I've got about three pastors that are my mentor. One is William Gray. Another one is Bob Hammer. Y'all might know those two guys. But there's a third one. His name is Herschel York. I've never met Herschel York. But he is the dean of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. And he has a podcast called Pastor Well that I listen to. I, listen, I probably listen to 200 of Herschel York's sermons because he's a mentor of mine. I, I want to have a pastorate like his. And you know, you know some of what I've learned? I've gotten some good preaching tips from Herschel York. I've also gotten some good, he'd say, fellas, I made this mistake in my pastorate. Don't make this mistake. I learned what you're not supposed to do. Now here comes the second question, and this one's hard. The first question is, who are you following? The second question is, what kind of example are you setting? Because guess what? Somebody is following you. Does that scare you? To realize there are people looking at your Christian example? It may be as simple as children and grandchildren. It may be co-workers. It may be somebody you've never met before. When I wear my chaplain hat in Save-A-Lot or in Food Saver or in Walmart, it gives me a second thought that I better be careful what I say and how I act because if they, they see I'm a chaplain, they're going to hold me to a different standard than they are other folks. We are all, we should all have examples to follow, but we are all setting examples. We are all examples for someone else. That's what we've been talking about in our Sunday school class, right? Discipleship? We are all disciples, but we, we should also be discipling other people. And before you say it, I'm going to say it for you. Well, I can't be an example because I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. Who am I to be an example? The person that's watching you, not only do they need to see how a Christian's supposed to act, they also need to see how a Christian acts when they 
don't act so Christianly. Amen? They need to say and learn it's okay to admit they were wrong, that they missed the mark, that they messed up. They need to hear you go to God and say, God, I've, I've sinned. I, I confess my sins to you. I've got news for you. Did you know most of the people that are watching you, you don't have to tell them you messed up. They know it already. I told you when I was at work in the warehouse when I was a food service manager and our truck came in and I had a glass of water sitting on the edge of my desk. And they said, Mr. Plank, we need you out on the floor. So I stood up and when I did, I knocked over that glass and I said a word that I shouldn't have said. And one of my clerks that was, he, he was a Muslim. He was looking at me and his eyes got this big around. And I told him, I said, Mr. Day, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I, I've asked God to forgive me. I pray that you'd forgive me too. I normally don't talk like that. And he said, I know you don't. He said, I've never heard you talk like that. But later he told me, he said, you know what? He said, you were one of the few Christian people I've seen on this compound that claimed to be a Christian, but when they messed up, they admitted they messed up and asked for forgiveness. He says, that makes me think more of you. So really what he's saying is he thought more of me when I messed up. When I admitted that I messed up. So y'all, the first question is, who are you following? Number two, who's following you? And what kind of example are you setting? And then number three, the last question is this. And it's the hardest one. If someone is following your example, if they live, if they dress like you, if they talk like you, if they acted like you, at the end of the day, are they closer to the Lord or are they further away from the Lord? Are you drawing them to look like Jesus? Are you encouraging them to look like your old self? Those are hard questions, aren't they? But we need to ask ourselves those questions. Next. Not only do we need good examples, we need to avoid bad examples. Verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I hate to admit this, but did you know that there are those in the Christian community who look and sound and act like anybody but Christ? They don't sound very much like Christ. They don't look very much like Christ. They don't dress very much like Christ. And they don't act very much like Christ. Just like we need to recognize good examples, we need to avoid the bad examples. Because you know what happens if we start looking at bad examples? We start saying, well, I might not be like that good example. But thank God I'm not like that bad. At least I'm not doing that. I might be a liar, but at least I've never killed anybody. I might gossip, 
At least I've never committed adultery. You know the problem with that kind of philosophy is that you're both missing the mark. We need to be able to identify good examples and avoid bad examples. But before we avoid it, we've got to be able to recognize it. Well, how do we recognize bad examples? Good examples follow Christ. They look like Christ. They smell like Christ. They act like Christ. Not all the time. That doesn't mean they're perfect. But when you look at that person, you say, you know, that is what a Christian man's supposed to look like. That is what a Christian woman's supposed to look like. A bad example, they're going to be following their own desires. They're going to talk about themselves a lot. You know, one of the things I admire about William Gray is that you won't talk to William Gray more than about two minutes before he'll start talking about Jesus and God. You'll never hear him talk about himself. He's always talking about God. Jesus did this. God did this. My Savior did this. I want to be like William Gray when I grow up. But bad examples talk about themselves. They follow their desires. Scripture tells us they follow their belly. What that means is, even though they're trying to be like Christ, they go eat that baconator because it's what they want. Their glory is in themselves. Look at me. Look at my ministry. We preachers are bad about that. Have you read my book? I just published my latest book. And there's nothing wrong with telling somebody you published a book. But there is something wrong when you finish a long conversation with a person. When that person thinks you think more of that book than you think of Jesus. Amen. That's the bad example. Paul sums it up at the end of the verse. By saying they set their mind on earthly things. You know what that is in 21st century language? They set their mind on stuff. They have houses and boats and planes and trains and all of them. Some of that stuff is okay. But if that is where our mind is set. I may tell Marie I want to look like that guy in front of men's health. But if my mind is set on those Waffle House hash browns, and if that's what I'm thinking about, guess what I'm going to have before the day's over with? Waffle House hash browns, right? Because that's where my mind is. Follow good examples. Avoid bad examples. And their end is destruction. Because, you know what? Though that man, though that woman may claim to be Christian, though that preacher even may claim to be Christian, if they're seeking after their own desires, if they're seeking after their own glory, if they are seeking after stuff, Paul says their end is destruction. They are not saved. Did you know just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian? What if I tell Marie, Marie, look at this guy in front of that men's cell. Don't you think I look just like him? I can say that. That don't make it so, does it? How I talk, walk, and act 
tells who I really am. Next, verse 4, or verse 20 rather, for our, our citizenship is in heaven. Know where your citizenship lies. This is the only time that the Greek word polituma, that's your homework for the day. Learn how to say polituma. I've been working all week on that. It's a word polite, U-M-A, polituma. That word means citizenship. And this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And that's not important. But what is important is to, if that's the only time it, Paul used this word specifically to remind the Philippians and us that their citizenship was not at Philippi. It was in heaven. My citizenship and your citizenship ultimately is not in the United States. Yes, we're United States citizens. But ultimately, we are more like a resident alien of the United States. And you know why? Because our residence is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our thoughts should be in heaven. While we do have interests here on earth, our main purpose on earth is to point people to Jesus so they can become citizens of heaven too. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think America is the greatest country in the world. I am so blessed and privileged to be a citizen of the United States. But I'm only here for a little while. My true citizenship is in heaven. Look what he says next. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of y'all right now, honestly, now don't raise your hands, but how many of us can honestly say we are eagerly awaiting Jesus Christ come back? What if I said Jesus Christ is coming back in 30 seconds? How many of us would be happy? Or would we be scared to death? Or not yet, I've got so much else I want to do. Are we eagerly awaiting Jesus Christ? And then finally we need to realize what's coming in verse 21. When Jesus Christ our Savior comes, He's going to transform our lowly body so that it may be conformed to His glorious body. How's He going to do that? According to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to himself. One of these days, when the Savior either comes or calls, he is going to transform us to be just like him. Now, the Holy Spirit is making us like him as we live our lives. That is a long walk. And to whatever level we attain on this earth, the moment Jesus Christ comes back or the moment that we go to glory at our deaths and we transition and pass over into him, instantly, just like that, we're going to be made perfect. That ought to help you keep going. That ought to help you remember where your citizenship is. I think we have a problem. I do. 
And I'm pretty sure, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think I can. I think I know you well enough. Aren't we too attached to this earth sometimes? Don't we take root here? I mentioned this song last week in passing. I want to read the words to this song. This song will be our attitude. Mary Reeves Davis wrote this song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I have a loving mother. Try that again. I have a loving mother just hovering in glory land, and I don't expect to stop until I shake her hand. She's waiting now for me in heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know I'll make it through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just over in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. The chorus says, oh Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Doesn't that sum up what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks? The key to Christian maturity is remembering where our goal We're headed to Jesus. We are headed to heaven. That's where our citizenship lies. But the last question I'm going to ask, and I know I went over a little bit. I try not to do that, but sometimes I do. The last question I have for you is, where is your roots? I'm not asking you, did you, have you been baptized? Have you joined the church? Have you, have you, tried, have you said a prayer? What I'm asking you is, where is your citizenship? Where have you taken root? Is it this world? Or is it the world to come? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.